please join us for Episode 9 of Bewitched. The Girl Reporter Bewitched Bothered and bewildered Am I? Welcome to Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, our podcast about magical shows from the 1960s. I'm Molly. And I'm Frank. And you're joining us for the ninth episode of Bewitched. The Girl Reporter. But before we get started, we're going to give you a brief synopsis. Local junior college student Liza Randall chooses Darren as the subject for her college newspaper article and thesis. Samantha can tell that Liza has a crush on Darren, something to which he seems oblivious or at least thinks is all in harmless fun. Liza's boyfriend slash fiance, Marvin Monster Grogan, a hulking football player, knows that Liza always gets what Liza wants. Monster begins to see why Liza would be attracted to someone more mature as he begins to have those same feelings for Samantha. Well, Samantha and Darren try to fend off the unwanted advances of their younger crushes, Liza and Monster have to decide who they really want. Excellent. Samantha and Darren are sitting on the sofa. Samantha is trying to thread a needle. Yep, it's uh, Friday night at the Stevens, and Home Sweet Home is playing in the background. Home Sweet Home, is, is that a song? Yeah, it's a parlor ballad that became very popular in the U.S., especially during and after the Civil War. Every listener has probably heard it a million times on sitcoms and cartoons. At this point, it's extraordinarily corny, but at the time that it was released to the general public... was so sweet and full of sad longing that it became a classic lullaby for the country. was actually banned in the Union Army because it would cause young homesick boys to desert. Holy mackerel. I had no (laughs) idea. I didn't even notice it. (laughs) 
Darren is doing paperwork and Samantha is sewing on a button and she's having a great deal of difficulty threading the needle. So in the moment that Darren has his nose buried in his work, she twitches up a spell to briefly magnify the needle and thread dramatically. Okay, so this bit of magic annoys me. (laughs) Why is that? (laughs) Because if you were magical, would you actually do it that way? Uh, Would you like make everything giant and then do it? Or would you just say twitch, twitch, the thread magically goes through the needle? It's a bit of an Ant-Man solution. You're right. Maybe she's thinking that as far as cheats go, it's closer to the original intent. I think that it's done for dramatic effect. Yeah, audiences laugh easily at oversized props. Right, exactly. And then you're nervous that Darren might see. But if she she just like twitched the thread through the needle, Darren would never see. I think the lesson here really is that Friday Night at the Stevens is deadly dull. Deadly dull. Enough is enough. It's about time I paid some attention to you. Oh, don't worry about me. I'm practicing my button sewing. Getting pretty good, too. See? Well, it's marvelous. <laughs> But the workaday world is over Friday night. Time for excitement and romance. Oh, marvelous. Where are we going? Darren starts to get romantic with Samantha, saying that he wants to have some excitement now that he's done with his work. Yeah. And she right away wonders if they can go out dancing. Going? We're not going anywhere. Excitement romance, you said. That sort of goes with black tie, champagne, and dancing, doesn't it? We don't have to get that excited. Oh, I see. No champagne or dancing. You can wear my black tie if you like. Oh, thank you, darling. I love you with all my heart, but nothing in this world is going to get me to put my shoes back on, let alone a black tie. Hmm. Oh, I just thought we'd sit around here together. Just the two of us. But his grand plan is basically just sitting around. It's what they've already been doing. Yes. Well, except some, you know, there's definitely the implied marital whatever. Conjugal bliss. Yeah, they're going to neck, and he starts kissing her, and... Sweet nothings will be whispered. Yes, yes. I never understood what that expression meant, sweet nothings being whispered. I don't know either. Uh, (laughs) Sweet, I think it's just like sweet comments. I'm not sure why they're called nothings, though. A precursor to ASLR whispering. It is the internet trend of having people turned on by someone whispering to you in a very intense way. Oh, my daughter showed me that. Isn't it awful? And they get like tingly or there's some like really intense. I find it very creepy. I find it the antithesis of eroticism, to be honest. So you've never had the tingly experience? Or have you and you just flee from it? It gives me goose flesh, but not not, not in a way that's positive. When I was young, various family members were trying to convert me to a really intense form of Christianity. Which form was that? Speaking in tongues. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, really yikesy kind of Christianity. So they would talk about the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit came into you, you would get goosebumps. So I was kind of a goner because I get goosebumps at the slightest provocation. It's super easy to give me goosebumps. In fact, as I get older, you can make me cry with any sort of sentimental commercial. or I try to oh, shy Molly. away from TV, but yeah. You are an advertiser's dream. 
Your your <laughs> buttons are so easily pushed. Your heartstrings are e- so easily pulled. Yeah, super easy. And it's kind of embarrassing because I can be like crying at a movie and saying, this is the crappiest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> So I get the goosebumps, but in the old days, I thought that was the Holy Ghost. But apparently it happens in secular situations as well. Oh, grab that, will you, honey? Oh, sure. Hello? Yes, it is. Yes, he is. Just a minute, please. Darren, it's for you. So the phone rings, and... Darren says that he's received a call from an admirer. Uh, Yes, goodbye. Who is that? An admirer. An admirer of what? Of me. (laughs) I'm to be interviewed as the prototype of the successful young advertising executive. Someone wants to write an article, and Samantha's like, where, what newspaper, New York Times, Wall Street Journal? You know, and he's like, no... It is the local community college newspaper. A junior college. Oh, junior. Sorry. Junior college newspaper. Are those the same thing? It's a really good question. Junior colleges tend to offer a two-year vocational program for an associate's degree. Many of them are more commonly called community colleges now, but they weren't always the same thing. Which one is Trump University? (laughs) I I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know anything about correspondence schools. Is that a correspondence school? Or do they actually have a campus somewhere? Who knows? Maybe at (laughs) Mar-a-Lago. Junior colleges have a reputation for low academic standards and as schools of last resort. And the goal of a junior college education is to ultimately transfer to a four-year school. I think that the point of making it a junior college is to first make it seem like an unimportant article that's only related to Darren's vanity, but also to emphasize the fact that this girl's really young. Yeah. So in those days, only 18 or 19-year-olds were at at community colleges. The person who wants to interview Darren is a freshman or sophomore at most. Yes, I like Darren and Sam's dialogue because Darren is feeling very lofty, but Samantha's enthusiastic questions whittle down the situation to the sad facts. Yeah, really sad. Really, Darren? For newspapers and magazines, television, something like that? Something like that. Which one? A paper. Which one? A local paper. Which one? Local school paper. Oh. Which one? A local junior college paper by a local junior college journalism student. Well, I think that's very nice. Some young girl has inexplicably (laughs) developed a crush on Darren. So first, can we go there? Yeah. What? What? (laughs) What? What does this girl see in Darren? We do find out that she is a little sexpot troublemaker. Her name is Liza Randall, Liza with a Z. And she's played by a young actress named Sherilyn Holdridge. Did she do anything else? She was a Mouseketeer with Annette Funicello. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> she's a, a real Sandra D type. Yeah. 
Definitely. For listeners who don't know, Sandra Dee was a young actress who made a famous series of films called Gidget. This was before the Sally Field TV series Gidget. She was the original blonde Swedish Gidget. Very perky teenager. Yeah, blonde, blue-eyed. When I think of a young professional that I might have developed a crush on when I was a young teen, Darren really doesn't come to mind, although I know that's really what he's supposed to be in the in the show. Yeah. And I think I maybe just uh, have become callous to Darren. But also, I don't think his appearance is... He's not a GQ guy. He's got that weird slick back hair and the big ears, and he's kind of hysterical. Like, why would you like that guy? Well, the more we get to know Liza, the more we realize that she's really just a troublemaker. I don't know that her interest in Darren really goes beyond her interest in disrupting his life and adding some drama to her own. Oh, I totally get that. I just am amazed that... (laughs) That she would even use him as a vehicle. (laughs) Yeah, of all the potential targets that she might have. You know, other kids at the junior college, professors at her junior college. That would have been really... Oh, yes. Yeah, that's way better. Uh, She fell in love with Darren because she saw a photograph in a newspaper. And so a photograph of Darren just doesn't seem like it would send... Young ladies swooning, although maybe the advertising business is super glamorous. She saw my picture in the neighborhood paper when we moved in. Oh, yes, that was a wonderful picture. You looked sort of fearless and sexy, as I recall. Somehow that photographer caught me, didn't he? (laughs) Samantha says that Darren looks super sexy in that photograph, and I was taken aback by her casual use of the word sexy. This is 1964, 10 years later when the Mary Tyler Moore show is on. I'm still surprised by the use of the word sexy. It's atypical that you would hear it being used. Kind of throws you off your balance. It does. That is amazing. Although I seriously question her judgment. (laughs) Well, she's biased. Well, yeah, right. Whether a panel of 50 other women would think that Darren (laughs) was really sexy in that photograph. But that's beside the point. Where are you going? Put a tie on. Doesn't look nice like this. Oh, I see. Oh, and Sam, will you fix some cold drinks, sandwiches, things like that? Why did you just give me a quarter and I'll go to the movies? <laughs> Liza doesn't really seem like a 60s-era young person. She looks and acts more like a 50s-era young person. Her style of hair, her dress, her very unhip, giddy wholesomeness. She is definitely putting on the full Mouseketeer Act at the outset. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your letting me come over tonight. You're the most important term project I've got. Well, I'm flattered. It's really fascinating how much you look like your picture. I totally agree with that. I think that at this time, who a young person was was probably a little bit hard to decide. They were already starting to be hippies. Yeah. And so what was a non-hippie young person supposed to look like? But you're right. The sensibility of Liza is just a 1951 young college student. I guess the only thing that's unusual about it is the fact that she's a woman and she's doing reporting, which would have been kind of fringe in the 50s. How very Lois Lane of her. Very Lois Lane. For our young listeners who don't know, hippies are the successors of beatniks. 
Do we have young listeners? We probably don't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And actually, the cultural context of beatniks is probably not helping. (laughs) Think of the transition of Maynard Krebs from The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis to Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Okay, even I don't get that (laughs) reference. (laughs) You never watched Dobie Gillis? I did, but really didn't see many reruns of that, so it's very vague to me. Maynard was a beatnik. Yes. And then Shaggy, of course, who is based on Maynard, is just an outright hippie. A smelly, hungry hippie. There you go. Go go right for Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Everyone will get that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can we offer you something? Please don't go to any bother. Oh, it's no bother. Hmm? It's no bother. I have sandwiches already. You're very sweet, and I'll try not to keep your husband for too long. Oh, well, I appreciate that. (laughs) So right from the start, when Liza is fawning all over Darren in the Stevens living room, she makes the mistake of saying that she's fascinated by his avocation. You know, I think creative advertising is among the more fascinating avocations in the world today. But an avocation is a hobby. Darren's job in advertising is a vocation, which is his career. Maybe it's a call back to the fact that she goes to a junior college and she doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. No, that's quite a pickup, though, because remember when I talked about in earlier episodes that I thought his job was just like goofing around? <laughs> oh, well, yes. <laughs> you, you, that's right. You have made it very clear that you have nothing but contempt for Darren's job. <laughs> his little hobby. Right. <laughs> and I never expected that anyone who was so successful in that field would be, well, as young as you, Mr. Stevens. Well, I'm not that young, Miss Randall, although uh, most men in my position are a bit older, I guess. Baloney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's some corned beef and liverwurst and some of that wonderful smelly cheese, too. My husband's simply crazy about that. I I don't know. Just coming up with slogans just seems so silly. (laughs) You can't do it. Has anyone tried me? Maybe (laughs) I could go apply to a big ad agency and say, I've been watching episodes of Bewitched, and I think I could do way better than Darren. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I'm dying to know is where you got that idea for that wonderful Caldwell Soup campaign. The only thing that will ever come between us. It's an inspired slogan. How did you know that was mine? I've made quite a study of you, Mr. Stevens. There's a very nice callback during her interview of Darren to the episode Help, Help, Don't Save Me. Liza knows the Caldwell Soup slogan. Oh, yes. That was really interesting. So she'd done her research. Yeah, nothing much actually comes from that callback, but I love it when a fictional universe begins to reference back to earlier events in the continuity. Yeah. It feels like a reward for attentive viewers. Well, I am flattered, Miss Randall. Please call me Liza. Oh, very well, Liza. And I'll call you Darren. Oh, that is if Mrs. Stevens doesn't mind. Oh, no, of course not. He's been called worse than that. (laughs) What other shows do you like that reference back on themselves? I was actually thinking like Star Trek is the ultimate continuity deep dive where they always reference back to not only earlier episodes, but earlier series of the franchise and earlier movies. Someone can enjoy it just on a very surface level, but if you're really paying attention, then there are always lots of little hidden Easter eggs that go way, way back. All right. I'm about to out you 
Oh, yeah, please. For not watching one of the most popular series of all time that I know you would really love. Oh, no. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have never seen an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You suck. they created a complex universe right so they have to refer back to various things and try to make things make sense not to drag out this point indefinitely but did you watch any of the spin-off shows i did watch quite a bit of angel because that was really an actual spin-off of the buffy verse ah the buffy verse oh yeah there's a whole freaking buffy verse out there just go to reddit i'm sure you'll find it in the last episode of bewitched bothered and bewildered i referred to the bewitched verse (laughs) even though really it's only this one show oh and tabitha yeah tabitha was a show yeah a terrible terrible spinoff in the 1970s i watched every episode with my older brother bert did you like it you and bert (sighs) Hard to say. We definitely watched it. I don't know that we liked it. (laughs) Were you just like desperate for Samantha to come back and do the original show again? That was the attitude of everyone who was watching the Tabitha spinoff. Everyone was waiting with bated breath. Would Samantha make a cameo? And spoiler alert, she never did. Dr. Bombay, however, did make a couple of appearances. Dr. Bombay would do anything. Oh, yeah. He would attend the opening of an envelope. (laughs) Yes, he would. My wife has a great sense of humor. We practically never stop laughing around here. (laughs) I suppose you find it difficult to accomplish anything at home. What do you mean by that? She means business, dear. Oh, well, I guess we better just stop laughing so you can get down to some serious work. (laughs) (laughs) You see what I mean? Darren and Samantha were planning a romantic evening together, and he said, nothing could tear me away. And then the moment Liza called, he accepted her self-invitation to come over and talk to him immediately. Oh, yeah. And he cast poor Samantha in the scullery job of preparing cold sandwiches for them and puts on a tie, something he specifically said that he would not be doing that evening. Yeah, I was I was annoyed. Were you annoyed? Well, it it all plays into his vanity. He is the eager recipient of flattery. I agree. And uh, Samantha is quickly marginalized and treated as a domestic. Yes. Very irritating. I I don't want to jump ahead to Can We Forgive Darren this episode, but things are not looking good. (laughs) Actually, I do find the office more conducive, yes. I thought so. And as long as we have a date to go down there tomorrow, I won't have to keep you any longer tonight. Tomorrow? So Liza and Darren have a Saturday morning date at McMahon and Tate. Well, when uh, Liza, uh, Miss Randall called me the other day about the interview, I suggested that she come down to the office on Saturday when it's quiet so I can show her around. You see? Oh, yes, I see. Liza's never seen a real advertising agency. Oh, well, I suppose everyone should see one sooner or later. (laughs) Is 9 o'clock all right? That'll be fine. In the morning? (laughs) Of course in the morning. Well, the other thing is they do this a lot in Bewitched, where it's the whole introduction thing, and who is Mrs. Stevens and who is Darren. Yes. So immediately she gets to call Darren by his first name, but keeps referring to Samantha as Mrs. Stevens. Oh, yeah. Nice to have met you, Mrs. Stevens. Oh, wonderful to have met you, Liza. Wonderful to have met you. Oh, wonderful to have... uh, Nice meeting you, Liza. (laughs) See you in the morning, Darren. 
Yes, good night, Liza. I would say that Samantha's outfit is dowdy. I took no special note of it. Yeah, I think it's a fine dress, but it's very old-fashioned, much like you mentioned that Liza was 1950s. This outfit that Samantha's wearing is very 1950s. It's a dress that has kind of a full skirt with a belt. It's kind of a shirt top, but very conservative, really not flashy. She's not beautiful. Yeah. I mean, she is always beautiful. Nice little girl, isn't she? Rather big for a little girl. What do you mean? Well, you certainly seem to bring out the woman in her. Oh, come on. All young girls are impressed by an older man. Well, you certainly are that. (laughs) Especially an older man who doesn't look his age. Vanity, thy name is human. (laughs) What's wrong with being human? At least I'm not a... Not a what? Now, Sam... Sam, now cut that out. We need to talk about when Samantha or when Darren says, at least I'm not a finish that sentence. He doesn't finish the sentence. That's the point. And what he wants to put in that empty, open, uncomfortable slot is a witch. And she says not a what? Because she always pronounces her WHs like that. What? <laughs> Up until that moment, Samantha and Darren have been trading some light barbs about Liza and her obvious interest in Darren. But then things for a moment get serious and Samantha expresses her displeasure by materializing and dematerializing all over the living room, playing a game of tag with Darren, basically. Until he sort of apologizes. I forget what words he uses. You're not jealous of a school kid, are you? Not a what? A teenage, freckle-faced school kid in short socks and sneakers. When I have something like you... Like what? A fascinating, a witching, a guiling... You convinced me. Samantha forgives Darren, and then the following morning, they're having breakfast... So I really like the joke that Samantha makes over breakfast, which is that Darren keeps describing Liza as a kid. It's almost 9.15. Where is our little... Sam. Typical American school kid with freckles, short socks, and sneakers. That is a very accurate description of Liza Randall. It's also a very accurate description of Huckleberry Finn. (laughs) Oh, now you finish your breakfast. I'll get it. So then she goes to the door and sees Liza. Good morning. Well, good morning. Is dear, is Mr. Stevens ready? Just about. Why don't you come in, Liza, and make yourself comfortable? Then makes the joke again. Who is it? Typical American school kid with freckles, silk stockings, and three-inch French heels. Liza? Well, it ain't Huckleberry Finn. And Liza shows up in a tight cocktail dress. Yes. Her very Sandra D hair has been pulled up. To reveal her sensuous shoulders with spaghetti straps. She got her hair did. She did get her hair did. Honey, why didn't you ask her to come in? Come on in, Liza. Good morning, Darren. <laughs> well, good morning. Oh, sit down, make yourself comfortable. Thank you. Don't let me rush you. I'm ready anytime you are. 
in his nervous, joking way, Darren keeps on trying to de-emphasize that she's a young woman. Her appearance at the breakfast table proves that she is not only a young woman, but a very sexy young woman. And he has a little bit of a slip of the tongue. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh. Would you care for some coffee? No, thank you. I'll be right with you as soon as I finish my legs. <laughs> what do you think of Liza's cocktail dress? I hate it. Apart from the fact that it's incredibly inappropriate for breakfast. I think they did a good job, actually, because to me it looks like a little girl's version of a sexy dress. Mm-hmm. She might be going to prom. Yeah. Not really taken with it. It just seems like a sheath. It's just a tight sheath. There's not much style to it. She might be going to her quinceanera. Yeah. Samantha did say French heels. I assume that means like a stiletto heel. Why don't you two get started? You want to get home before dark. Are you uh, sure you want to come with us? Oh, no. I've got loads to do around here. You two go ahead and have fun. All right. Let's go, Liza. Liza and Darren depart for McMahon and Tate. And Liza waits by the side of the car for Darren to chivalrously open the car door for her. Yeah, he initially isn't going to do it. He's just getting in. And then as they drive away, she's clearly sitting, not in her own seat, but in the middle. I'm quite disappointed in Darren at putting up with this. Like, what? what's going on here? <laughs> what, what a dope. Well, yeah. I never think that he's going to be remotely tempted, but he is obviously allowing this flirtation to go much further than it needs to. He's really enjoying it. Oh, yeah. Quite a bit of it. and I mean, it makes him uncomfortable when she goes too far, but he's not doing anything to stop her. Yeah, but the bottom line is also Samantha knows that there's no real danger. No. So then, in the bushes is... Marvin Monster Grogan comes to the door and starts to explain to Samantha what is really going on here. Mrs. Stevens? Yes? My name is Marvin Grogan. They call me Monster. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Mrs. Stevens, I believe that was your husband who just left here in a car. That's right. Well, a woman named Liza Randall was seated next to him. I know that, too. Very, very next to him. Now that you mention it, it did catch my eye. Well, Mrs. Stevens, I don't know how disturbed you are, but it might interest you to know that I'm very disturbed. Well, I don't think there's really anything to be disturbed about. You'll pardon me if I disagree with you? And he counts it off on his fingers in such a way that in the end, when all his fingers are counted off, he has a fist. <laughs> and it means he's ready to pop Darren. A good one. One. Liza Randall is engaged to me. Two, we have a standing date every Saturday morning, which she broke to go shopping with her mother, which we both know she didn't do any such thing. Three, she's made it very plain that she's out to get your husband. I really don't think it's that serious. Four, this is not the first time a situation like this has come up. You see, Liza has what you call a mother complex, only with fathers. Five, what Liza Randall wants, Liza Randall gets, unless... Unless what? Unless you can come up with a better suggestion. I have decided to break your husband in half. Uh, why don't you come inside, Monster? I think you're right. There's definitely something to be disturbed about. So Monster Grogan is played by Roger Ewing. He is famous for playing a deputy on Gunsmoke. Oh. 
He got that gig a year after this episode. This is his first TV appearance. He's only 22. He's a very good-looking, tall, blonde, kind of a lunch bucket face. Yeah, not super exciting to my way of thinking, but I'm sure he's the classic kind of dreamboat that a mouseketeer might want to marry someday. Monster says that Liza has a father fixation, but his way of saying it is really odd. It's kind of presenting the notion that maternal fixation is much more commonplace, but to become obsessed with one's dad is really aberrant. So weird, because young boys falling in love with older women Mm -hmm. seems like not that much of a thing. Yeah, they don't really use terms like electrocomplex or anything like that, or penis envy, but you feel like those are right under the surface of what Monster is saying. Oh, they're very prevalent at this time. The popular psychology would be all Freudian right here. Oh, yeah. All of the like hints toward any deeper psychological narrative would be referencing Freud for sure, which kind of in a way makes Liza more innocent than I think of her now. Hmm. Just this innocent girl crush, but it's not that innocent really. I mean, she seems to want to have a romantic relationship with another woman's husband. Once they get to McMahon and Tate, she's throwing herself at Darren, but she's extraordinarily interested in what will happen if she's successful. Like, she's interested in the impact to Samantha. She's thinking about the ruined trust and jealousy that she's creating. She's kind of a gleeful homewrecker. Do many women pose for you? Well, the photographers, actually. Your wife is very jealous, isn't she? No more or less than any woman. Have you known many women? Liza, did you come down here to study uh, advertising techniques or to ask me a lot of personal questions that are none of your business? This young girl as aggressor is so odd. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? It's just like not what we think of now. Is that sort of like an American fantasy of the young person as the predator of older people? I'm sure you could find it in Penthouse and Playboy (laughs) letters to the editor. Dear Penthouse Forum, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. Yeah, the babysitter. I mean, this this is forever, the babysitter, right? You're a very sensitive man. Well, you could say that, yeah. Sensitive men are exciting. They're so, so... Sensitive. Yes. Nothing about Liza feels real to me. I guess it's possible that a destructive teenager would really be looking to make a mess of a married man's life, but that still feels like a fantasy of an older man. Yes. Young girls tend to feel insecure and not powerful. Well, thank heavens. Yeah. (laughs) But in this case, it seems like she has really latched onto that power. And I'm sure that happens sometimes. I mean, I'm not saying it never happens, but it just doesn't seem the theme of how we portray young girls anymore in current entertainment. Would you like another stack of pancakes, monster? No, thank you, Mr. Stevens. Eight or nine stacks are about all I can go. I ate all your sausage and bacon, too. I got a lot of hostility, I guess. Well, I'd rather you attack my icebox than my husband any time. You feeling better? Pretty good. Samantha quickly clues into the fact that there's really no danger in the situation between Liza and Darren, but she is worried about Monster rearranging Darren's face, so she mollifies him by just feeding him. 
And he turns out to be a real jughead, a real wimpy, a real dagwood, <laughs> a real shaggy. Yes. Yes. Men love food. <laughs> they will be <laughs> endlessly distracted from their original purpose if you just present food to them. Chicken wings and beer. You can pretty much distract <laughs> a man from anything. Now, as you can see by this analysis curve, the public's taste changes with the times. It isn't enough for an advertising man to have imagination. He has to have a sympathetic eye and ear to what the public wants and what they need. While he is doing some boring presentation to her, she pours a gin for herself and a scotch on the rocks for him. <laughs> Root beer? Root beer on what? Scotch. Scotch? What's that? Gin. Gin? Give me that. Oh, heavens. There's a towel over there. Will you get it for me, please? Oh, you ought to be spanked. What's the matter with you, anyway? Nothing's the matter with me, and I wish you wouldn't talk to me as if I were 12 years old. You're absolutely right. I do apologize. A 12-year-old child would have more sense than to pull a foolish stunt like that. He's real surprised and shocked. He's like the straight man in a burlesque show. Yes. That is also a male fantasy. Yes. <laughs> and he spills his drink on himself and her drink on her, which is good because she's a teenager. She shouldn't be drinking a gin martini on the rocks. Of course not. Although we've also gotten very tight about how old people can be when they drink. And I think back then it was a little bit more loosey-goosey. What is the current drinking age? It is 21. And what was the drinking age in 1964? I'm going to guess 18. Until 1970, it was 18 in the state of New York. So 1964, Liza would have been just fine. Though to be fair, a hard liquor cocktail before lunch is very outré. Yes, Definitely. But when I was young, I think there was much more of a family set of rules about drinking. You know, maybe our listeners can chime in and write comments about when they were first allowed to drink at the family table. I would occasionally get a sip of wine from the rare moments that mom and dad would have it, but I'd say that it was very uncommon. What my perception is, is that now, for public safety reasons and all kinds of other reasons, we focus a lot more on alcohol than we used to. It used to be just something that you didn't really bring up. You know, you didn't talk about it. It was just a thing that everybody did. Yeah. Or many people... I'm, I shouldn't say that. My grandmother never drank. She was a Methodist. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is the culture around drinking changes quite a bit from decade to decade, depending on what the public health interests are and what the family cultural interests are. I would like to be your father for just about five minutes. Oh, just five minutes. I wouldn't care for that at all. I like being who I am, and I like you the way you are. Never mind that. Just... Put some water on the towel and soak the gin out of your dress. You know how zealously we got our corporate image, Tate? The keynote of all our advertising is dignity. Oh, by all means, dignity. And let me assure you, Mr. Austin, your campaign is going to be designed by one of our most talented and dignified account executives. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad we spotted his car downstairs, you know. He often comes into the office on Saturdays. He's an extremely dedicated young man. I'm glad you meet him. And then she pretty much physically throws herself at Darren at an inopportune moment when Larry Tate is showing a client through the offices. They burst in. 
And what is Larry Tate's reaction? He lies. <laughs> he what pretends he it's not. He says it's not Darren. <laughs> he calls him Mr. Johnson. <laughs> and, and then says goodbye to Mrs. Johnson. This episode sets up reliable molds. Throughout the series, there's going to be two to three episodes every season that essentially have the same plot of Darren catching the eye of a young single woman who is infatuated with him and has a dangerous, dangerous boyfriend. Additionally, Larry Tate is always quietly delighted at the idea that Darren may be stepping out on Samantha and is happy to be complicit in that. Absolutely. I think he likes the idea of living vicariously through Darren's adultery. Yeah, nobody wants Larry, so Larry's really (laughs) envious because Darren is some kind of a sex god. I think Larry is only stopped from being unfaithful to Louise because young girls aren't interested in him. Because he's so repulsive. Yeah. So you see, monster... It's easy to understand why an impressionable girl like Liza would be momentarily smitten by a man like my husband. Maturity has its own fascination. I guess so. If I were you, I'd just forget all about it. Oh, I haven't thought about Liza for almost a half an hour. (laughs) That's a record for me. That's wonderful. Listening to you explain it, it suddenly comes to me what a child she is, immature and like that. Well, she's still very young, monster. Yes, she is, and I realize that now. And like you say, maturity sure is fascinating. You're beginning to look hungry again. I think I ought to fix you something to eat. Uh, Samantha's back on the couch with Monster. Mm -hmm. And here we get the sense that Monster is starting to fall for her. And Samantha clues into it and says he's starting to look hungry again. And he's hungry for Sam. Of course. And who wouldn't be? I have no qualms about that. Any young dude would be interested in Samantha, unlike I think any young woman would be interested in Darren. <laughs> Monster! Oh, please control yourself. Please don't do anything rash. <laughs> Darren and Liza come home. What's all that smell all over you, Jen? Monster, this is my husband. Darren, this is Marvin Grogan. They call him Monster. Jen? That's right. That scotch, if I ever smelled anything. The scotch is on me. The gin is on Liza. How do you do, monster? Well, what are you doing with scotch all over you and gin all over Liza? We just started to have a simple drink. A drink? No one had a drink, simple or otherwise. We merely spilled it on ourselves. There, you see? Perfectly innocent. Okay. Monster admits that he was there to actually beat up Darren. I've since learned that there's absolutely no maturity and fascination between us. Thanks to Samantha here. Samantha? Pay no attention to him, Darren. What does he mean, Samantha? Don't let this big clod bother you, Darren. Now listen to me, both of you. I think it's about time that both of you went about your own business. But, Darren, my thesis... If you have any more questions, just submit them to me in writing. But, but Darren... No buts. Goodbye and good luck. Thank you. Goodbye, Samantha. They both leave... Well, that's quite a conquest you've made there. Well, he's really quite a nice young man. Oh, I suppose under all that sinew and tendon beats a heart of pure protein. And then the scene cuts back and forth between both couples, with each accusing the other of being jealous and everyone denying it. Oh, Darren. Oh, Darren, what? You're jealous. (laughs) Don't be ridiculous. Me jealous of a... 
Uh, Typical American school kid with freckled short socks and sneakers. <laughs> well, I... Uh... I suppose you're pretty proud of yourself, aren't you? She's a very charming person. Something about which you don't have the faintest idea how to be. Well, what's so unusual about having charm? It comes with age, like wrinkles. You're jealous. Me, jealous? You've got to be kidding. Eventually, everyone grudgingly admits to being attracted to the other couple. I want you to know I'm really very flattered by this whole thing. You should be. Liza happens to be an extremely pretty girl. I was talking about Monster. We had quite a morning. He was here all morning? Oh, yes. He arrived just after you left. He wanted to break you in half. Only my charm and three square meals kept you in one piece. I want you to know I put up quite a valiant fight myself today. Oh, really? It was touch and go there for a moment. Touch what and go where? You know, the story is really typical of Darren and Samantha. Oh, yeah. This plot line repeats over and over again, but I found the characters of Liza and Monster quite boring. Oh, yeah. I would agree with that. I much prefer when there's a witch trying to seduce Darren. You know what I mean? There's just like a little intrigue. These are just junior college kids. Their relationship is very uninteresting to me. I'm kind of glad they walk away. Are you trying to tell me that it wasn't you who lured him down to his office? It was him that lured you? Mm-hmm, monster, it was his idea, I swear. Liza, if you're lying... If my term project wasn't so important, I'd have gone shopping with my mother. That does it. Liza convinces Monster that, in fact, it was Darren that made a pass at her. They come back to the house. I don't mind telling you that child got a bit aggressive down there at the office. Child? That's as fully developed a woman as I've seen in many a day. You said yourself she was a typical American it school kid. It just doesn't kid. matter what I said. You must have given her some encouragement. I did nothing of the kind. I was explaining to her the rise and fall of a public acceptance survey chart. She tried to get me drunk. Do you really expect me to believe that? Of course I do, as much as you expect me to believe you were protecting me from Marvin Musclebound all morning. Well, I was. Oh, don't be ridiculous. That big clod wouldn't hurt a flea. What did you say? I said he wouldn't hurt a flea. You said I was ridiculous. Who said you were ridiculous? Me? Yes, that's what you said. Let's not fight about it. Well, that's exactly what you're doing. I'm not fighting. This is no fight. You're fighting. It takes two to make a fight. You started it, that's one, and you started it with me, that's two. Don't be ridiculous. All I said was that big clod wouldn't hurt a flea. And Monster feels compelled to defend her honor by throwing a punch at Darren. Samantha twitches up a force field to protect Darren in the instant that Monster's fist makes contact, and Monster nearly breaks his hand against Darren's face. Monster throws a second punch towards Darren's stomach with his other hand. Again, Samantha protects Darren, and Monster hurts his hand. His throwing hand. So does he play community college football? Because... Oh, you're so derisive. (laughs) That's not really a thing, is it? I thought they just had, like, intramurals in community college. Bring us home, Molly. Okay, Darren has an iron gut, hurts Monster's hands, everybody's mad, they walk away... Liza coddles the injured monster, and they rekindle their romance for each other. Darren thanks Samantha. She says, well, all things considered, it was the least I could do. But then in a funny capper to the episode, it's revealed that after putting that force field around Darren, she left it up so that he is unable to touch her when she's wearing her peignoir. Ah, 
yes, the peignoir. Darren has a silky smoking jacket on, and Samantha has kind of a lackluster peignoir. I don't think it's one of my favorites, but she's sitting in front of her um, dressing table, as women did, Mm -hmm. brushing her hair because you were supposed to brush your hair a hundred strokes every night. (laughs) Like Marsha Brady. With one of those fancy brushes. Sure. So she's brushing her hair. And Darren comes up and then all is forgiven and everybody's happy. So that brings me to Frank. Can you forgive Darren? He is mostly a doofus in this episode. I never feel that he is truly tempted. He definitely allows Liza's flirtation to go further than it should to the point of real embarrassment. But uh, what middle-aged man is immune to the attentions of a young person when it makes them feel better and they have no intention on acting on it? So yeah, I guess I could forgive him, knowing that there is never going to be any chance of an affair or him taking advantage of Liza. What about you, Molly? Can you forgive Darren? I think that his sins in this are rather boring. He's just sort of mildly annoying as somebody who's not acting as a full adult doesn't recognize the consequences of the way he's acting with this young girl. His only real sin, I'll even forgive him this, is his predictable jealousy and mistrust of Sam, who is put in exactly the same situation as himself. I would say there's one more that comes up early in the episode when he says, at least I'm not a... Oh, yes. That was ugly. Yeah, it was on the tip of his tongue and he stopped himself from saying it, but the thought was there. The sentiment was there, to be sure. And again, it just doesn't make sense because why does anybody think it would be bad to be a witch? Yeah, he barely gets a pass on this one. Yeah. It's disappointing that he's not cleverer about it that he, he's not more per- perceptive about it. But other than that, meh, meh. <laughs> oh, I think I hear the music. Must be time for us to go. Thank you for joining us. Please join us again next week as we watch a new episode of I Dream of Genie. <gasps> yes, we're returning to... <laughs> no! Tony Nelson... Jeannie, Dr. Bellows, and Major Healy. (laughs) In the meantime, listen to other shows on the Piwacket Podcast Network. The Brothers Grimmer with Bert and Fran. Kindred Spirits with Stephen and Bert. And Knuckle Sandwiches with Jason and Frank. Well, until next time. Until next time. is a production of the Piwacket Podcast Network. Our opening song is sung by Melissa Arning. A special thanks to Melissa for letting us use it. How do I sound now? You sound great. Okay. You sound magnificent. 
<laughs> I only watched this episode once, and I watched it with Brian, which was really what? interesting. Yeah. He listened to the podcast. I think he wanted to watch it with me, and he, I said, what did you think of it? And he said it was, what did he say? It was... Competent. Uh, e- no, acceptable. No. Workmanlike. No, no, not the podcast, the, the episode. He said it was brutal. The girl reporter was brutal? Yeah, brutal. That's the word he used. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> but I'll save it for the podcast. Yeah. Home sweet home. Be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. Oh, is that what it was? Be it ever so? Yeah. Okay. That's it exactly. Yes, you know it well. I should definitely not sing on the podcast. (laughs) I may cut that out if you want me to. (laughs) (laughs) You can cut that out. So I've gotten very bold with my singing now that I have a granddaughter. Like I'm singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and stuff. And it's like I have to remind myself that I am not supposed to sing in front of other people. You're not supposed? Why? (laughs) Because I can't carry a tune. I'm terrible. Well, your granddaughter doesn't know that. No, small children are fine, but adults (laughs) don't need to hear that. Are you drinking whiskey, by the way? No, but beer. I had a beer. I had a couple beers. Do you need a beer right now? No. Do you need a second beer? No, 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 no (laughs) more beer. Do you need all the beer? (laughs) No, plenty of beer. Nope, I agree. I picked that up right away. Caldwell Soup. And then I was just trying to remember, is that the slogan that they ended up with? Yes, exactly. Nothing will come between us Uh, except Caldwell Soup. Brilliant. Very sexy. So if I had 40 hours a week to try to think of a Caldwell Soup (laughs) slogan, do you think I could come up with that? No. Something so brilliant? No. You have no faith in me. I I don't. (laughs) I don't. I don't. You're so dismissive. (laughs) <laughs> of it that I, yeah, I, I, I don't. All right. That's all right. I couldn't either. Actually, I think you could. It's not my calling. Eh, you don't want to. It doesn't mean you can't. I think I would have said eh until I saw it <laughs> written in it. Apparently the expression is meh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about something. Yeah. You may or may not be interested in this, but I'm really interested lately in the idea of false eyelashes because (laughs) I know several people who are getting these fake eyelashes put in and then they go get them filled and it's more of a permanent thing. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, you go to get your nails done, you go to get your eyelashes put on. And I bet you know a lot of women that do it, they just don't tell you about it. But look around at these eyelashes, and you'll you'll pick it up. But if you look at Samantha in this situation right now, she definitely has false eyelashes on. There's no question that they're long, curly, false eyelashes. I am a generally inattentive person. Sometimes there may be a delay between my noticing that my husband has gotten a haircut. <laughs> I am definitely not noticing whether any of my female coworkers have semi-permanent false eyelashes. All right. You have an assignment. <laughs> Look around. Right. I, I will. So toward the end of the last season of Saturday Night Live, Louis C.K. was on. Okay. And he did a skit where he was in court and he was, I think, a defendant he was just Louis C.K., kind of a mediocre-looking man, kind of 
chubby and fair-skinned, and they put on giant false eyelashes on him. <laughs> and I haven't seen this. The joke was then that every time he spoke, everyone just swooned. <laughs> So he could kind of say anything and everyone swooned. And it was just this, you know, this guy, this middle-aged guy with these big false eyelashes. And it's really true, actually. I'm just kind of interested now in the difference that long eyelashes make and how women are perceived. And it does make a difference. It's very interesting. I think I may be immune to that chemical reaction, just being a gay man. I don't think so. You know what? I'm going to bet... That you think guys are sexy. Well, I do. Sexy young guys, especially, of course you do, if they have dark and lush lashes, hmm. that they would look sexier. And you should check that out. Like, just look at some men's magazines and take a look at the eyelashes on the guys. Because they're not non-existent. Okay. What I'm forcibly reminded of is Gladys Kravitz doting over her nephew Floyd and mentioning that... You can practically see his eyelashes from the stands at the at his junior <laughs> league baseball game and thinking, how creepy is that? Ugh. My son had beautiful long eyelashes. <laughs> and I'm creeped out by that now, too. Yes. And they were gorgeous. And when he was in first grade or right around there, he came home crying from school. And it was because the teacher said that he had the prettiest eyes. Oh, And it was just devastating to him because, of course, he was trying to be a tough little dude and pretty eyes were not what he wanted to hear. (laughs) It was true that he had beautiful eyes, but it was not what a first grade dude trying to be a tough dude wanted to hear. My heart goes out to him. (laughs) I'm so sorry, Nathan. 